Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. How many of you took a road trip this summer? Anybody besides us? Oh, okay, okay. you took a couple there, huh, Kevin? Um, took a road trip. <laughs> What's so funny back there? Huh? It's not fair to tell jokes that I can't hear. You know, I mean, I tell jokes that you hear, right? I don't do that to you. What was so funny back there? He did take two road trips. Oh, that was, okay, that was it. Oh, that wasn't so funny. All right, okay, okay. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, we, got, uh, we had an opportunity to take a road trip. And let's see, um, Fowlers, they went to Yellowstone Park recently. And I was thinking about that. Um, when we went to Yellowstone Park, when I was about Evelyn's age, and we went in my Auntie Ev, Evelyn, uh, her car was a 1965 uh, Plymouth Valiant. And, uh, you know, she was the aunt that could afford the nice car, you know, and so she lived with us, and we, my brother, myself, my aunt, my mom, headed across country, went to Virginia City, Montana. You've all been to Virginia City, Montana, I'm sure, you know, and a uh, great place. And, you know, you do the usual tourist thing, because when you go there, you know, you like to think of yourself, right, you know, when you go to these towns, you know, like Virginia City, Tombstone, went to Tombstone with our kids, you know, this last year, um, Silver, uh, the, what's the $10,000 silver bar in uh, Montana somewhere where you got to stop, kind of like wall drug, you know? Um, and you've kind of envisioned this, right? As a kid, you know, the old West spirit. And so because of that, you end up doing this at some point, right? <laughs> okay? And you pay to, to help to pan for gold. And uh, I remember doing this uh, in Virginia City, Montana, panning for gold. And uh, you find these little teeny flakes. Um, that uh, I'm assuming somebody put in the, you know, thing, you know. It's sort of like, I've never been on a Caribbean cruise, um, but I know a lot of you have, and you go and you get shells, right? I mean, how many millions of shells are there? There, You know, they must stock them. Uh, it's kind of like in Israel, when you go to the valley where David slew Goliath, and you get to take a rock home. And you know how many rocks there are in that riverbed there? <laughs> how many tourists have been there? But panning for gold, and uh, I was thinking about that. When you think about... I haven't got any coins. Anybody got a coin on them? Nobody's got any money? Kind of a debit card? Somebody got a debit card? <laughs> Somebody got a penny or something? Come on, Kyle. <laughs> Who's got a nickel or penny? Oh, thank you, Sherwood. All right, we got a quarter here, okay? That's uh, blended metal. Uh, you turn it sideways, of course, and you can see the blended metal. And you think of the, uh, uh, that's pretty sad. Nobody's got any money, coins on them anymore. <laughs> oh, yeah, you put them in the offering. Thank you. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Got it. Mission giving, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, but you know, the metals in coins, when you think, you know, we're just so used to think of a penny, you know, and a quarter and a nickel, you know, dime. You think of the silver, the copper, the alloys. Think of all the work that goes into to getting those, that metal. Think, I mean, I, you know, to think of a mining operation and what's involved to get that metal and you think back in Bible times, uh, who gave me this quarter here? Okay, thanks. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, you think of the, in the Bible times, what went into to, to, to smelting, to getting the ore, to making coins. In fact, some of the great archaeological evidence are coins from Bible time. All the work that goes into mining. And you know, it's interesting that throughout Christian history, and at least in my era, 
some of the terminology that's used for the Bible are things like gems from God's Word, mining God's Word, um, you know, the language that we use of working hard to, to find those little flakes, that this idea that you go to the Bible and you can just read the Bible, and there are things that just jump out at you that are obvious that you've known for so long, and then there are other things that you're reading through the Bible and they catch your attention, and you start, you start looking, and you start searching, and you start digging more. Um, the Bible is a, is, a, is a wonderful book. It's more than a book, isn't it? But it's God's Word. And this is why at our church, we preach from the Bible, because we think it's very important. You know, one of the verses that I grew up learning, and I have it in King James there because that's how I learned it, and uh, it's, it, it's the verse that provides the acronym for Awana. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Some manure translations, um, handle the word correctly, be diligent about God's word. Um, you know, Awana, approved workmen are not uh, ashamed. Uh, the acronym comes from that. This idea that, that God's word is it's worth our time. It's worth your time. And I appreciate you being here today. I really do. I appreciate you being here to worship and lift your voices in song, to fellowship, to serve one another, to, to, to be a part of God's work, and to allow us to open God's word. In our youth department, as Pastor Kevin and the youth leaders teach up there, our children's ministry, our adult classes, it's, it's worth it. It's very important. And um, this morning, we're going to do that. We're going to kind of mine uh, the very, you know, we've been doing First Peter, so if you would turn to First Peter, to chapter 5, the very end of the book, our text really today is just a very short passage of Scripture that I'd like us to, to, to mine today and uh, see what we can uh, uh, sluice out of there that is, it might be valuable, it'll be a valuable lesson not only to know, but also to do. We believe the Bible is God's inspired word, and the final we stand in the evangelical tradition, the Protestant evangelical tradition that says God's word is our final authority in both doctrine and practice, what we know and what we do. It's our final authority uh, for us, and it's a good authority. Let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, and we pray as we do, mind this passage. And we uh, carefully look at it and see what you may have for us in your word today. Uh, I pray that we will learn more of you, draw closer to you, and live lives that are pleasing to you because we understand uh, what you have for us in your holy word. Thank you again for, for loving us. Uh, we love you. And uh, we just count it a privilege to be here as a family to look in your word today. In Christ's name, amen. In Second Peter... Uh, oh, I'm sorry, First Peter, I told you, First Peter chapter 5, and we come to the end of this book. We've been studying it since last summer. We can read verse 10, and the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, remember it was a big theme, suffering in Peter, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast, to him be power forever and ever, amen. And he sort of ends the book here, but the rest of it is a is a postscript, if you will. It's, the, it's sort of the, the wrap-up, you know, kind of personal closing comments with people. And, and you see here, as we have it, if you, you have different translations, I have it behind me here in the NIV. Um, with the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God 
stand fast in it. Silas, you might recognize, of course, from Paul's ministry in the beginning uh, with the second and third journey, of course, is that Paul and Silas, they go together. You know, we have songs about it, you know, Paul and Silas. But Silas also evidently ministered with Peter because he's with Peter and he says, and he says, with the help of Silas, which, which might actually indicate that Silas may be the scribe. You know, Peter may have dictated it and, and he may have been the scribe. I don't know. But he says, with the help of, with the help of Silas, I, I have written to you. So he had something to do with the production of, of, of First Peter. It was from Peter, but Silas had something to do with this, as Peter says here. The next verse, and this is the verse we want to kind of mine this morning. It's just one verse. She who is in Babylon chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. So evidently a group of people that are chosen together in the idea that they are believers as well in Jesus Christ. I am on their behalf because I am with them. They're sending your greetings. It would be as if um, you know, one of our missionaries comes when uh, Joseph Assan, Joseph and his wife and little girl, they are Camer- Cameroonian. I'm not sure exactly what the, they're nationals of, the, of Cameroon. Cameroon. And they are now working in Malawi. And uh, they're going to be with us. And, and, and I'm sure they will bring greetings from the churches in Malawi. The church in Malawi will send greetings to our church. This is the idea. And Peter says, where I am, I send greetings. And so we're not actually going to look at this this morning. But here's if you want to do a little study on your own, um, this would be a great study. Who are these people in Babylon? Is, is Peter actually in Iraq? modern-day Iraq and the old city of Babylon? If he is, that's quite, a, that's quite a journey. That's quite an extent in terms of what we see in the New Testament. Is he in Babylon or is he kind of using this as a, a more of a, a term for the city of Rome? Because Babylon at one time was the world power and now Rome is. There's different opinions. You can look into that. But I want us to look at the last part of this verse. So does my son Mark greet one another with a kiss of love, a holy kiss, peace to all of you who are in Christ. Who is Mark? And this is what I want us to look at today and kind of dig a little bit. We know we see these names. I mean, this, this, these are the kind of scriptures that you wrap up, you're done, you kind of close it and you move on. But I want us to think about this this morning, about Mark. Uh, who is Mark? What do we know about Mark? And what significance is there that he specifically says, my son, Mark, is it really Peter's real son? Or is, it, is this a spiritual type son that we might use even here, you know, that, that you know, we might be a part of someone's life and lead in the Lord or be mentoring them and call them my, my son in the Lord. We know that these family names are used in the family of God in the New Testament. Mark, also known as John Mark. Who is Mark? Well, let's, let's, we're going to be mainly looking in Acts and back to, to Peter, but we're going to look a little bit in the New Testament. So if you have your Bibles this morning, if you would go back to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. The Gospel of Mark, that um, he, is, he was not a disciple of Jesus in the sense of Matthew and John, but he authored the, the Gospel of Mark. Um, there's, a, there's, there's a, just a little tidbit here of church history. There is a tradition in the Christian church, but it actually goes back to probably within the second to third century. It goes back a long way that there's a tradition that in Mark uh, chapter 14, 
that when Jesus was betrayed and arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, that you see in verse 50, everyone deserted him and fled. You know, his disciples, everybody got away as fast as they could. And then it says, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. There was a young man evidently, well, not evidently, he was in this, in this scenario here. And when everybody fled, he was going to leave too. And someone grabbed him and he just left his garment in his hand and he just took off without any clothes on. It says here, he could have had his undergarment on. We don't, you know, that might be a way of saying that. There's a tradition that this is Mark. That there's this, I don't know if you've heard this or not. That's a sister tradition. That's all the further I can go on that. That this is Mark. That early in the church history, they said, yeah, Mark didn't want to say it was him, but this was him. Okay? So I just pass it on to you. It's an old church tradition that does go way, way back. But we do know a little bit more about Mark. And, and, to, and to come to this, I want you to go to the book of Acts, chapter 11. In the, in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, we have the accounts of the early ministries of, of, of travel. The Apostle Paul is, is saved in Saul of Tarsus. He's converted. He begins his, his uh, travels in, 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 Gos, in, in Gosco, the book of Acts, chapter 11. And we want to look at verse uh, 25. As there's a church in Antioch, and... Uh, Antioch is really a major city in the Roman Empire at this time. It's uh, uh, up north. And um, in, in Antioch, it says, verse 27, there were some prophets who came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and the Spirit predicted a severe famine would spread over the entire world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. This um, uh, tradition we have of the, of the church family helping one another. Um, it, it goes very early in the Bible, and it comes from the Jewish context, where the, where the, where the uh, Jewish people take care of each other, and, and these, and these uh, brothers say, we need to help our Christian brothers who are down in Judea. They are up north in Antioch, they, and it's a severe famine, it's, they're poor, they have some means, and they say, let's send us to verse 30. They did this and they sent this monetary gift, this monetary gift, they sent it uh, to the elders down in Judea by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So Barnabas and Saul take this gift down to, down to Judea. And I want you to notice in chapter 12, we'll turn over chapter, and in verse 25, that when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, taking this gift to Judea, to Jerusalem. They returned from Jerusalem and they brought with them or took with them John, also called Mark. So when they go down to Jerusalem, there's a young man down there, John Mark. That's, we'll call him Mark, but it's John Mark. He has both names, just like uh, Peter and you know, several of them have uh, the two names, John Mark. And uh, they bring John Mark back with them. They bring Mark back with them. Mark was, they brought him back for a reason. He must have been sort of a up-and-coming young man in the apostolic ministry, just like Stephen. Remember, Stephen was a young man, and Stephen was brutally killed for his testimony to his fellow Jews, the Sanhedrin and so on, for uh, Christ. 
And Mark may have been sort of in that, you know, that same parameters as an up-and-coming you know, young leader. They thought enough to bring him with them back to Antioch when they returned uh, from, from Jerusalem. And it turns out that he is also the cousin of Barnabas. So he is the cousin of Barnabas, and they bring him back. So then we come to chapter 13, and Paul and Barnabas are back at Antioch. This is in the, this is in the area of the world today where it's, you know, Syria and so on, where there's all this turmoil and trouble, and just, you know, this, this is, the, this is the, what we're talking about. They're up there, up, up there north in Antioch. And it says in chapter 13, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and, and teachers, and it, and it lists them, and they stand up, and, and in verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said through the prophets, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and they sent them off. This is the first missionary journey to, to the Gentile world. Remember the Apostle Paul, when Saul was converted, Ananias prophesied when he came to Damascus that uh, the Lord said, I must show him all the things he must suffer. He is my chosen vessel to take this message of the gospel to the Gentile world. This was something new. Remember how hard it was for Peter to go to Cornelius. Peter said, Lord, I can't do that. And the Lord says, Peter, if I tell you, you're going to have to do it. This is so hard. But they're taking this message outside this Jewish context where it was birthed and where it's, everything was happening, where thousands are coming to Christ. And, and they are, but they are going out to the Gentile world. This was Paul's calling. This was his commission, his mission. And so off they go. But I want you to notice verse 5. So they are sent off. When they arrived at Salamis, so they are, they are going into the area we call Turkey, Asia Minor. They're going into Turkey, into the islands below Turkey. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. Yes, Paul was a missionary to the Gentile world, but every place he went, he started in the synagogue. It was perfectly good sense. Uh, his, his message was not just to Gentiles. It was to Jews and Gentiles, but it was to the Gentile world and it was in the context of they did not have to become a, a, to be part of God's family, did not require them to be part of the Mosaic law. If you were, that was fine. You could continue doing that. But the message was clear, the gospel of the grace of God, Jesus Christ is your Savior, apart from any works of the law. But they go to the synagogue and look at John, John Mark, was with them as their helper. So look at this. On this first, this, this, uh, um, uh, earth-shattering, trend-setting event of actually going out as missionaries to the Gentile world. And they choose this young man, Barnabas' uh, cousin, Mark, to be a part of their team. And it says he is their helper. Now, the word helper here in the Greek language is used, what you would use as, say, an assistant to a doctor. Um, you know, you talk, we talked today about physician's assistants. You know, this was a, someone who would assist the doctor. He wasn't he's not a full doctor, but he's been trained enough to, to help out and do significant things. He's not just cleaning up and so forth and, and, so forth, and menial type tasks. He is going along as a physician's assistant. He's going along as a helper. They have elevated him to this role as a, as a helper. It was also used of army officers, priests, and politicians who had helpers who assisted them in their ministry. It was an important role. And John Mark goes with them 
on this first missionary journey as a helper. Well, this journey continues, and they go into uh, an area, you'll notice in verse 6, they traveled through the whole island until they came to Papos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and a false... I need to read this, because this is a very important part of the story. And they met a, and a, and a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. Bar simply means son. It's like Barnabas. He was the son of Nabus. Uh, Bar, uh, Barabbas was the son of Abbas. Uh, Bar-Jesus is the son of Jesus. Kind of like Nelson, for those of you who are Scandinavian. Uh, that's the idea there. Uh, he was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. Notice the name, Sergius Paulus. This man's a Gentile. He is a Roman high official. He is a proconsul. He's a very important Roman official. And it says the proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. He may have been coming to synagogue. It's possible. We don't know. But he wanted to hear these guys. But Elimus, the sorcerer, for that was his name, what his name meant, opposed them, tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul. Now notice this, this is interesting. That this first encounter of this Gentile, who's going to become a Gentile convert, is the first account of, this Gent- of a Gentile convert for Paul's ministry. It's at this point his name is changed from Saul to Paul. And this guy's name is Sergius Paulus. So that's kind of interesting. So his name is changed to Paul, who's also called Paul. And from here on out, it's, it's Paul. And he filled with the Holy Spirit, he looked straight at Elimus, that is the sorcerer, and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind. And for a time you will be made unable to see the light of the sun. And of course, immediately it happens. And in verse 12, when the proconsul saw what happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about Jesus. We have here the first Gentile convert. It's a Roman official. These are the Romans. He represents this Roman government who this tension in Palestine between the Romans and the Jews as a, as a people in subjection to the, to the, to the Romans. He, become, so he believed. He received Christ as a Savior. He became a Christian. And he received the Holy Spirit. And he is a convert and, and, is, and, and, and Sergius Paulus and so they leave, and this is what Paul and Barnabas do. They, 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 they planted, they, people are converted, they, they leave people in charge, they do as much discipling and training as they can, and they go on. This is a missionary journey. This is the planting churches. And from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, look at where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Their next stop after this convert, and they leave from there to go to Paphos, to Perga, Pamphylia. You look on your maps and find these places, and John goes home. John Mark goes home. He leaves them. And the story goes on. Well, where the story picks up again is in Acts chapter 15. You just turn a few chapters. And Acts chapter 15 is the Jerusalem Council. And it's at this Jerusalem council where this issue of Paul and Barnabas going to Gentiles 
and telling them that they can become part of God's family. They can become part of God's work, believers in Jesus Christ, part of the church, the body of Christ. And they can do that without, without any regard to the Jewish law. And these, and, and these, and these Jewish believers in Jerusalem, these, many, these are believers, some are not, but the, this church in Jerusalem, this is a real struggle. You mean after, you know, we keep the law, we keep clean, we keep pure, we watch the moral standards, we've done this, and, and, and you mean to tell me these Gentiles are just kind of waltzing here and simply believe in Jesus Christ and that's it? And they're saved? That, that, that's all it takes? And, it's, and there's this conflict of saying, well, yes, they sent people up to follow Paul and Barnabas to say, yes, that's fine, believe in Christ, but you understand to be a fully uh, adapted member of the family of God, of course, you also have to keep the Mosaic law. And this became a, a, a division and they were butting heads and it, it was a challenge. And Paul says, we have to go down to, to Jerusalem and we have to address this. And so Paul and Barnabas come down to Jerusalem and there's this huge council in Jerusalem and it's, it's contentious. It is, you can imagine the debate and the arguments, you know, United Nations Council, you know, and they're debating and they're arguing and, they're, and Peter stands up and James stands up and supports the ministry of Paul and Barnabas. And they come to a conclusion and they write it out and says, no, we support this. I know it's hard to understand. You and I have a hard time entering this world, but it's hard to understand, but this is what God is doing. And Paul, would you please ask them to observe these particular, you know, of not eating blood and abstaining from sexual immorality. And Paul or Barnabas agree to that for the sake of unity. Well, one's a given, sexual immorality, but the eating blood, that was an option, but they agreed to it and they went back to Antioch after this council. When they go back to, to Antioch, and you could take some time to read uh, chapter, chapter 15, it's a long chapter. Verse 36, they're back in Antioch. And sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back down, let's go back, let's go back and visit the brothers, the churches, you know, we know it's brothers and sisters, of course, we'll go back to the churches in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord on their first missionary journey where John Mark left them. And let's go see how they are doing. Let's, let's go back. Let's go back and encourage them and help them and let's see how the churches are doing. It's his second missionary journey. Barnabas, verse 37, wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted, he had deserted them. So we get a little more insight into this. this. That's what the language in the Greek language indicates. He deserted. He's a deserter. <laughs> he left the battle and he went home. And Paul says, this is not wise. He, he deserted us in Pamphylia and not continue with him in the work. Verse 39, they had such a sharp disagreement. Paul and Barnabas, the apostles. Paul and Barnabas. It started out as Barnabas and Saul. And with the conversion of Sergius Paulus, you find that the, the story kind of shifts to Paul and Barnabas. There's a shift there. But these two guys that have been down to Jerusalem Council, they have fought this thing out, they worked it, they came back, and they have such a disagreement, verse 39, that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark, and he sailed for Cyprus, where they were from. But Paul chose, hey, Silas, remember that name? My brother Silas, who helped me write this letter, Peter says, and left 
commended by the brothers. It doesn't say anything about the brothers with, Paul, with Barnabas. It just, but with Paul and Silas, they are commended by the brothers, by the grace, to the grace of God, and they go out and strengthen the churches. Now, think about this. This dispute over John Mark is so strong that Paul and Barnabas can no longer work together. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation. Ever had one of those kind of divisions? They can't work together anymore. They both feel so strongly. Barnabas feels so strongly that, that, that Mark deserves a, a second chance to go with them. And Paul feels so strongly that he cannot do this. He deserted us. He cannot do this. That they, they can't resolve it. I don't know how much to read between the lines, how strong it was, how, how angry or volatile. Was it simply an agreement? It doesn't tell us. But whatever it was, it was such a big deal that they break up this missionary party. And listen, th- this would have traveled like wildfire. Everybody knew about it. This isn't something you keep secret, that Paul and Barnabas are no longer traveling together. Every church in the area, down to Jerusalem, probably preceded to the churches when they got there. Where's Barnabas? And this was a big deal. And it was all over John Mark. But they both felt so strongly that they parted company. And they went their separate ways. A lot of ways to look at it. God got twice the work, you know, out of these apostles. Um, you know, there's different ways to look at it. Why did John Mark leave? Why, why did he leave? Why did he desert them in Pamphylia and, and, and go back? Well, at, at the first glance, most of the time you'll read that he just simply wasn't up to it. Chickened out, you could say. I was afraid. It was, it was just too strenuous. He didn't know what he was getting, what he signed up for, you know. Um, and uh, he just couldn't handle it. And it was just, he, he was homesick, whatever. Uh, by the way, his mother is Mary. And you'll find also in Acts that that's the house, the home that they were meeting at. And, and many, many, again, in, in church history have suggested that she is the one who owned the upper room, that this is where they were still meeting, where Jesus had the Last Supper. But it does say his mother's name was Mary, a different Mary, of course. Um, why did he leave? He couldn't hack it? He was homesick. Some suggest it was Paul's illness. We find out later on from Paul that he was severely ill while in Galatia. Almost, and, and, and he said, you, that's where he said, you would give me your own eyes. That he didn't think Paul was wise to, to go like this, to travel. That's a possibility. Was he upset that Paul was sort of eclipsing his relative Barnabas. It started out as Barnabas and Saul, and it sort of switches the story, kind of switches to Paul and Barnabas. Uh, Was he upset about that? You know, I don't know what you think. You're you're welcome to your opinion, because it doesn't tell us why he left. I'm going to tell you what I think, and it's just my opinion. This is just my opinion, okay? I'm not dogmatic about this, um, I do have a little support from a, a well-known Bible scholar, okay, uh, who's not me. I'm not a well-known Bible scholar. Richard Longnecker, who uh, um, he wrote in uh, the Expositor's Bible Commentary, put out by Zondervan, it's sort of a standard Bible commentary we have in our library. Uh, it's a, quite a large set, actually, and he wrote the section for Galatians. He was quite a well-known scholar, especially when I was in college and graduate school. Uh, we used him a lot. 
And let's listen to what he says. I'm reading a quote here. I want to give you credit for this. I'm reading this from Richard Longmaker from the uh, uh, International Bible Commentary Series. As for John Mark's departure, it is usually explained as a combination of homesickness, rigors of travel, dissatisfaction with Paul assuming leadership over Mark's cousin Barnabas, unhappiness at leaving Cyprus too soon, but discussions among the missionaries after Paphos and during their stay at Perga may well have focused on the impl- now, try and follow this now on the implications of Sergius Paulus, the Roman proconsul, his conversion for their ministry. And it can plausibly be argued that number one, the lack of preaching in Perga at this time was due primarily to uncertainty within the mission party itself about the validity of a direct approach and full acceptance of Gentiles to the, to the ministry, to the gospel. And number two, John Mark's departure was because he disagreed with Paul. Well, this is only conjecture. Mark had been concerned about the effect of the news of a direct Christian mission to Gentiles, what the effect this would have on Jerusalem. And on the church there, and in fact, he may have wanted no part in it. It might have been his return to the Christian community in Jerusalem that may have even stirred up some of the Judaizers in the church to action to demand an explanation from Paul and Barnabas. Other explanations for Mark's defection are at best only partial and at worst rather thin. They fail to account for Paul's strong opposition to Mark in Galatians here, an opposition that suggests Mark's departure on his first journey may have been for reasons more than merely personal. Do you see what he's saying? This was so controversial, this ministry to the Gentile world, that, that this young man, Paul, uh, uh, Mark, John Mark, said, I'm not part of this. I can't do this. You, you've, you've crossed the line, Paul. And it's, with, and it's in the context of the conversion of Sergius Paulus that this all takes place. I think Longnecker is on to something here. I, I agree with him. And I think to support that, and we're going to wrap up here, but if you go to Galatians, if you go to the epistle of, to the churches at Galatia, where all this took place, and you go into Galatians chapter 2, after the Jerusalem council, Paul and Barnabas go back to Antioch. So this would take place just before this decision to go out for a second time when, when, uh, when John Mark leaves them. That it's in this context, so it's right in that context in verse 11 of chapter 2, when Peter came to Antioch, Paul writes, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate. This is Peter. You know, we've been studying First Peter. These are people. They are just like us. They have their challenges. They, have, they make their mistakes, just like you and just like me. These are not, this is not Jesus. They are not divine. And, and Peter pulled back when they came to Galatia and he saw the disturbance. He, he pulled away. He used to eat with the Gentiles over here. But when these people came and challenged him, he left and pulled away. So I'm sorry, I can't eat with you anymore. And he goes over here. And Paul has to confront him to his, to his face. Verse 14, when I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew. You, act like a, you, act, you live like a Gentile, not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? But in this context, look at verse 13. The other Jews in Galatia, they're about to have a split in this church. There is about to be a split in these churches in Galatia, and it's a critical time in the ministry. They've just had the Jerusalem Council. They've come back with this report. They've 
they've got it settled down and these people come and stir it up again. And even Peter, but notice what it says. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Even Barnabas told Paul, I'm not going to eat with those people. He's been converting Jews, Gentiles. And he pulls away and says, I can't do this, Paul. This is, and, and Mark, his cousin, I think, probably is wrapped up in this too. Mark is back at Antioch. And because we know that then they start off for a second journey, Peter, Peter, um, Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas says, let's take Mark with us. He's there. Paul says, no. You see, it's in this context of this division that even Barnabas has trouble with this. And Mark is his cousin that, that they hit this wall and they disagree. And it's so sharp that these two men split up and go their separate ways. Now, we started in 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, we saw this morning, as Peter comes to the end of this epistle, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends her greetings, as does my son Mark. As bad as this whole scenario and how disruptive and divisive and as bad as it looked and everybody else and their testimony and everything, they couldn't work this out, there comes a time where Mark is Peter's helper. He's with him when they send this epistle to the churches. Not only that, I want you to look at a couple of passages from the Apostle Paul. I want you to look at Colossians chapter 4. And I'll read it to you. Colossians chapter 4. This epistle is written some years later. Paul has taken his second journey with Silas. He's taken his third journey. He's been arrested under house arrest. He's taken his fourth journey back to Rome. Not in intention, but that's where he is. He's under house arrest in Rome. This is a prison epistle. It comes at the end of the book of Acts. And in chapter 4, verse 10, Paul writes, My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. John Mark has been restored to Paul's ministry and Peter's ministry. And then finally, in one of the most powerful to me is in 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy is Paul's final words. This is a man who's about to be executed. Written about the same time as 2 Peter's written. And the Apostle Paul, who has planted churches, trained leaders, given his life, been beat up, starved, imprisoned, shipwrecked, beat up again, left for dead, bears in his body, he has given his life for the ministry for these people. He comes to the end of his life. He is a prisoner in Rome. And when he, and when he comes to here, he says that at verse 16, at my first defense... No one came to my support. Not one person would stand up with Paul and give a character reference in front of the Roman emperor and say, no, this man has not done what you said. He is a good man. Not one person. But everyone deserted me. There's our word again, deserted. May it not be held against him, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. 
But I want you to notice in this context where nobody would stand with Paul. He's writing from Rome. Look at verse 11. Well, look at verse 10. Do your best to come to me. He's writing to Timothy. Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me. There's our word again. He's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get who? Get Mark. Of all the people in the world that Paul wants with him, in his last days, he is about to die. This is urgent. Of all the people in the world that he could ask for to help him. He says, Timothy, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful in my ministry. Now, all that to say this, it's time to go. You can figure it out. This, my friends, is a message of reconciliation and restoration. There's a lot we don't know. And I don't want to read into it any more than we have to. But listen, friends, there is a place for us as the family of God. Now, we have been accused that, you know, it's been accused that the church is the only place where uh, the, the army shoots its wounded. You know, there is a place in the family of God for, for proper reconciliation and restoration. And this is a powerful story to me, to think that both Peter and Paul are so impressed and, and, and sense the help that John Mark can be to them, even though he was the cause of the split up, even though he deserted them at one time, that, 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 that Paul says, no, he's so helpful. I want Mark. Of all the people, Timothy, you and Mark, that's who I want here with me. You guys come. I, I need you here. The Apostle Paul tells Timothy in, 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 in his epistle to him in 1 Timothy that, uh, that, that, we are to, that we are to help one another. I'm sorry, in Galatians. It's in Galatians. Timothy, there we go back. Let me just read this to you. Brothers, in Galatians chapter 6, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I just want to bring you that word today, friends, that I know there's a lot of implications. Um, as Christian leaders, you know, there are things that, 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 that we can do to disqualify ourselves from ministry. We fully understand that. As elders, we understand that. And there is proper place for stepping aside and, and so forth. But in your own personal life, uh, there's an application here for you and for the church. You know, we can talk about reconciliation for the world, and that's great. But what about your world? What about your world? Is there a person in your world? It could be in your family. It, you know, it could be someone here at church. It could be an acquaintance. It could be someone from your past. Is there a person that has caused such great division and harm that you, you just can't, you can't go there? And I'm asking you today, Paul went there. He forgave Mark. He, he personally forgave him. He didn't put him right back into ministry. And he was probably right. I, I think he was probably right, given the context of Galatians. 
it probably was not wise to take John Mark with him. And frankly, it probably was a good time for Paul to start anew with Silas. Because this thing was about to, 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 to sink the whole work, apart from the Holy Spirit, of course. It was time. But it was all, there also came a time when Paul in his heart could forgive, could reconcile, and even restore him to ministry. And Mark stepped up to it. And I'm not talking today about any person or any, unless, you know, it's always a danger in preaching. Oh, he's talking about this. He's talking to me. He's talking, no, I'm not talking. I'm talking to me. I don't say anything to you. I don't say to myself. Is there someone in your life that, listen, it's time. It is time to forgive. It's time to forgive. It might be a close family member. Listen, friends, there comes a time. If you're a Christian and they're a Christian, they may not respond. That's out of your hands. But is it time to pick up that phone? Is it time to write that note? Is it that time to be the one to step forward and begin to work toward reconciliation and restoration? Is it time? I praise God that these apostles, though they were human like us, did what the Lord said. You who are spiritual, if you're spiritual, you be the one to step forward and restore them gently and follow the law of Christ. Listen, we're going to have a, before we close today, we have a guest with us today that wanted to come and just say a word of thanks to us. You know, we, we use our um, church facilities for, uh, come on up, uh, the Chinese Christian Fellowship. They just, they like to come and just, I'm going to turn this mic on here, AJ. And uh, they like to just say a word of thanks to us because we let them uh, minister and fellowship in our building and they just ask if they could just come and say a word of thanks. So introduce yourself and, okay. and share with us today. Uh, yeah, and speak right in the microphone there. Good morning, everybody. And thank you, uh, Pastor Jim, Jim yeah. <laughs> for your message. You're welcome. Uh, I want to greeting to all of you, uh, all dear brothers and sisters in the Baron. Bible Church, may God's peace and grace be with you. My name is Amy Chen, one of the co-workers of Chinese uh, Christian Fellowship International in the greater Seattle area. Uh, praise the Lord, because of his love, we can be a part of God's family and worship him together. Today, on behalf of our CCF Bible Study Fellowship, I want to thank all of you for your generosity to let us use your church facility, share God's word to his people, and evangelize to unbelievers and seekers. Thank you for supporting us to accomplish the Lord's uh, great commission. I'm very, very grateful and appreciate what you have done to further his kingdom. May God richly bless you and enlarge your ministry to outreach more and more and do not hold back. Thank you. I love you. <laughs> we have, uh, there's, there's, there's four ladies here today. Why don't you stand so we can recognize them. They come and they meet on Wednesdays and they meet on Saturday mornings. Uh, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much. Let's close our service so a trainer can get down the stadium and pitch that game for us today. <laughs> hey, tonight at the annual meeting, if there's anybody that works in our nursery, 
program, maybe you work once a month or something, we could use someone to help in the nursery tonight. So if you're available, could you see Teresa or me or Gary? Uh, that would be really great. And we just sang a great song. And uh, let's close our service in prayer. And as we do so, close your eyes. And we're just going to bow our heads in quietness. And I just want to remind you, friends, uh, if you're here today and uh, you feel like you've let the Lord down, maybe you feel like you've been a failure. We, we all have been. Uh, I just want to remind you that uh, our God is a God of new beginnings. And uh, there's no reason why uh, you know Christ as Savior, uh, that this, this can't be a new day for you. This can be a new day. And say, uh, and say Lord, I, I want your life to shine through me. And, and I'm looking forward, as we learned in Sunday school in our class this morning, the abundant life that you've offered through your son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to you myself to that. And you live your life through me. Uh, we are all a part of God's uh, restoration. And we are all in need of love, compassion, and kindness from one another. And we thank God for his love and kindness to us. In his name, we pray today for his blessing upon us as we leave this place. Amen.